0: Hey Wyoming, welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Arshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and all their special guests as they talk all things gardening in the great state of Wyoming, from plant variants to weather events to pesticides and pollinators. Our lawn and gardening podcast helps you improve your home garden as well as your small acreage. So let's welcome Jeff Edwards, Jerry Urshabek. Happy gardening, folks.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGUS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Bernie Lewis. And uh, we will be talking about lawn and garden things that you can do in January. February and March and um, let's listen to a few words from our sponsors and we'll be back right after this.
2: UW Extension is excited to announce another session of the very popular online master gardener training. This extensive training focuses on successful gardening and landscaping in Wyoming's uniquely challenging growing environment. The 14-week class runs from February 10th through May 12th and costs $75 plus the book. Topics include botany, soils and composting, extending the growing season, growing vegetables and herbs, fruit trees, berry crops, trees and shrubs, annuals and perennials, lawn care, pest management, diagnosing plant problems, and entomology. Live classes are held online Wednesday evenings from 6 to 9 p.m. Live classes allow instructors to interact with you and other gardeners across the state. If Wednesday classes don't fit your schedule, no problem. Classes are recorded so you have the ability to attend when it's convenient for you. Visit uwyo.edu slash mastergardener for all the details and to register. Did you know that hemp seeds are nutritious with 30% protein? If you're interested in learning more about hemp and the hemp industry, join us for the Wyoming Hemp Workshop on February 3rd from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. We will have speakers from across the region in Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, and even Canada who will present valuable information on a variety of hemp topics. This will be a hybrid event which will include local meetings at Wyoming Extension Sites along with a virtual Zoom conference. If you'd like to attend, please contact our hemp agronomist, John Conant, by phone at 307-766-5022 or by email at J-C-O-N-N-E-T-T at U-W-Y-O
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Good morning, Jerry. How are you doing today? Good morning, Jeff. I'm doing really well. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm glad we made it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. And, uh, you know, the weather outside is still frightful, And just in the fact of the wind shear, um, not much in the way of any moisture, but a lot of wind, a lot of
1: wind. Pretty, pretty cool. Some of those mornings when my wife and I are out there walking our dog. So, yes, Uh, our guest today is Bernie Lewis. Good morning, Bernie. How are you today?
4: I am fine. I am fine.
1: It is good to see you. Glad you are able to join us today.
4: I am, too. I am, too. So since I
1: mentioned that we'll be talking about winter activities that you can do in your lawn and garden, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Bernie, and let's get started.
4: Well, as Jerry was saying, the weather is still very frightful. And right now is a very good time to be watering your trees, your young trees, even your mature trees, because we have not had enough moisture during the summer and this fall and even into the starting of this winter They are in desperate need of water.
1: So trees and shrubs, right? Yes, trees and shrubs. Still out there. Um, And the primary reason that we want to water over the course of the winter is not necessarily to have the roots be able to pull moisture up into the stems, but it's mainly to keep the roots from drying out, correct?
4: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Okay. And so if we are watering trees on a cool day which you know we're not freezing real hard but uh, can you give some folks some tips on how to water trees this time of year
4: slowly i mean uh, your water pressure is <laughs> if you're up out in our neck of the woods the water pressure isn't always the best, but probably 10 15 minutes at the most but just to, so that they, they have enough water so, so like you said that they're Roots don't dry out, so they're not stressed when it starts, um, you know. They, they have to have some moisture because it is so dry. We tried to dig some fence posts, and um, it's just Dust. almost impossible <laughs> to dig out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, previous uh, programs, we've talked about this a little bit. If you have large trees it's a good idea to go out during the warmest part of the day, whatever time that might be and uh, start a hose running and maybe uh, let it run about the diameter of a pencil. So what is that? About a quarter of an inch or so. Yeah. Let it run for several hours and put it on, uh, put it on a, um, I guess it would be maybe a clock schedule, not, not watering length, but where you're watering on that tree. So uh, you want to put the hose out where the drip line is, where, out yeah, where the, the edge of the, uh, the rip off,
4: where the roots.
1: Yeah, and where so your canopy is where the thank you, the canopy. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, so if it's a large tree, I would set it maybe one day at you know where you think north would be, or the 12 o'clock position would be. And then if you can water again the next day, set it at three o'clock and the day after that, set it at six and then set it at nine on the hands of a clock around your tree so that you're getting adequate water in the area that needs it all the way around the tree. So hopefully I made that clear other than confusing people with timing and clock, but run it as long as you think you can or think you should, you know, in our environment, overwatering is usually not an issue not a problem (laughs) (laughs) and really what you're trying to do is get the water into the soil uh, but um, once it starts freezing getting below 32 degrees probably unhook everything make sure you unhook that hose from the hydrant or the side of your house and drain it uh, so that you can use it again the following day so go ahead jerry Bernie, when
3: you were digging those post holes, did you find any frost in the in the ground?
4: No. It no. just was no
3: just pretty dry. Well, well, my and...
4: husband, I I lost my garden shed this um, last spring. Oh no to that,
1: due to a wind. To, that,
4: to the wind. <laughs> and so uh, Wendell was building me another one. And so he, he had to dig some fence posts to hook it to it. Yeah, he wasn't real happy by the time I got home from teaching school, trying to dig a fence post or two.
3: <laughs> My dad would always put water in his holes to put in a fence post if he could, and we would haul water and just you know put a little dash in. He always found that to be easier to tamp those posts in a little tighter.
1: He
4: he just well,
1: he, to have.
3: Wendell
4: ended up putting water in there to try to make the fence posts. Yeah. to make the bowl because it was oh. that <laughs> yeah, hot. that's
1: dry. Yeah.
3: It was is-
4: very dry. It was yeah. very dry. And people are starting to get their seed cal- catalogs and stuff and
1: looking at all the pretty pictures look- and dreaming about the produce that they're going to eat.
4: Yes, yes. And so uh, people need to be getting those seeds ordered by now and you know you can you can start I wouldn't start any tomatoes right now. But I would start some perennial flowers, things like that that you can that have a, a longer date to before they bloom. Mm-hmm. Your perennials you can start now. Could you um, do
3: marigolds and zinnias as well?
4: No. No, because your they, your your bloom date on those are what, twenty days? <laughs> you can so, marigolds so. and zinnias I'd plant outside. But okay. but you can start those probably in March and April. And then to transplant them. But your perennials are, they usually have a longer date for them to bloom. And they're woodier. They're a woodier plant usually. So
3: like a a person that has just a grow light, would you put the grow light fairly close to your pots? Or
4: after you get it, they need to propagate first. I mean, they need to germinate through the, then you transplant them. You'd plant them into a bigger thing and then put them them in different pots and put grow lights on them.
1: So Uh um, when you you plant them and first, when you're waiting for them to germinate, do you need to grow light on them or not?
4: You have to look.
1: It it depends on what it is, right?
4: Yeah, it does. Some of them need light and some of them don't like light. You just have to read on your package.
1: Now,
3: like many people, I would think... Have extra seeds that they didn't use the year before or the year before that or the year before that. So I know that as the seeds age, the germination rate goes down. So, how would you go about seeing if there's a, uh, these seeds would even try to germinate?
4: Um, I'd put them in damp paper towel. Uh huh. And put them in a paper towel and, you know, put them on a, like on the top of a refrigerator where it's warm or if you have a, a, grow, a heating grow pad just and see what the germination, uh, what's the percentage would percentage. be.
1: So take yeah. take 10 or 5 seeds out of the packet, mm-hmm. wrap them in a damp paper towel, throw it up on top of your refrigerator, check them in about 5 days, see what happens. Okay. Bernie, would you transplant those plants to you soil? Can. Okay. You can. You can.
4: You can. Know, is mostly so you know what your germination will be.
1: Yeah. If it was a... The percentage a,
4: of germination would be.
1: If it was a plant that you really, really liked, it's hard for, well, running a germination I can't throw things away. <laughs> right. <laughs> running a germination test is a really hard thing to do if you're not planning on planting the survivors. <laughs> so, very good. It is good. very
4: hard for me to throw any little plant away.
1: Yes. I, I, I just. It you, just... Bring, you bring home all of the um, uh, ones that nobody adopts before the end of the year, don't you?
4: A lot of them. <laughs> Wendell goes. Wendell just. My husband Wendell goes. Um, we don't need any more. Your <laughs> your garden will not hold anymore. Just walk like, away from them.
3: Just walk away. I like just to plant away. a lot of sunflowers, and sometimes it's difficult to thin them out because you know, hey, well, you look pretty healthy, and you wind up taking some healthy ones out, and. I'm not sure how they would transplant once they're a foot high. No, they don't. They're yeah, not don't. very good, huh? Not well.
4: Mm-mm. And I hear, Jeff, you have an, an experiment that you are working on that sounded very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, so last fall, Diane and I were talking about the possibility of keeping tomatoes going throughout the winter months. And uh, in warmer climates, tomatoes are considered a perennial unfortunately not here (laughs) and so what i did is i of of the of the ones that we liked i took some cuttings and dipped those cuttings in growth hormone and then put them into potting soil mix and kept them moist and uh, i think i started with nine i ended up with three so i had pretty high mortality out of those but uh Uh, I have tomato plants blooming right now, (laughs) but I have been trying to keep them trimmed back and um, I, I really do not have any interest in allowing them to bloom and try to produce fruit in the house. I'm just trying to keep them alive until April so that I can get them in the ground in the high tunnel. But that was just a clipping that wasn't the actual tomato plant that you had had before? Uh, correct. It was just a clipping. So it was um, a six to eight inches of a terminal shoot, And I peeled off all the lower leaves and then dipped it in the growth hormone
4: and then put it right in the soil. When I've heard you can, when you are roguing out your, you know, you're in the V, uh, you have those. Oh, I can't think of what they're called. The little, you know, to you just pinch them off. And I've yeah. heard you can reroot those too.
1: Really? So mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I know what you're talking about. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> I of, couldn't
4: right? think of the name.
1: Yeah. So um, you have shoots that have come from the, um, where the main stem of the plant branches and the. The suckers. Uh, yes. The suckers. Are they
4: called suckers.
1: I believe so. So how would you root those? Would you use rooting hormone, Bernie? Or just I don't think you even in. have
4: to do, you know, I really don't think you have to do rooting hormone because every place, you know, if you, when you are planting your tomato plants, if you can get them just so that their little head is sticking up, mm-hmm. all those hairs are roots, will make roots. I've heard okay. people just sticking them in, not even putting them in root, the hormone, just sticking them in potting soil.
1: Just take a cutting and putting them in potting Mm -hmm. soil. Okay, that'll be next year's experiment. The other thing I'm trying to, uh, while thinking about doing, I two years ago, my mom had a bunch of apricots that were really tasty. Uh, She had them again last year, but the wind blew them off before she was able to harvest the majority of them. And so I have pits uh, from those apricots that I'm going to try to germinate. I was doing a little um, research, and found out that it would work better if you could chip them out of the uh, the pits and mm-hmm. just just have the seed portion. But I'm a little concerned that I don't that I haven't had them go through a uh, cold period long enough to um, see if they'll even work. So I'm talk about your germination test. It's going to be a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jeff, my neighbor has an
3: apricot tree, and she was just eating a few. And then chucking this the pits out, and voila! Next spring she had she had uh, trees coming up. Yeah. So that's where my brother got his trees, his apricot trees. Okay. But I have not seen any of the apricots that you know because they normally fall, they get overripe, they fall. And but I haven't seen any trees coming from those. So I don't know what it was about our neighbor that. After she had eaten them and and chucked them out onto the grass, that they got those to grow. I, I I'm not sure. Yeah, um, like walnuts, they say to give it give a bucket of it of them to a squirrel and he'll plant them for you. So, so they they've got the big husk
1: on them. Yeah, they do. So here's a interesting thing that's going on in the neighborhood that happened over Christmas. You know, we had that we had that really strong wind like. 60 mile an hour, whatever that happened. I believe it was at between Christmas and New Year's, if I remember correctly, but I could be mistaken anytime. Anyway, sometime during that time, we had this big wind. Well, Diane and I go for a walk every day and we were picking up black walnuts on one of the roads near our house. And there are no black walnut trees anywhere near us. So, um, I've st- I started asking people, how far do you think a black walnut could travel in a 60 mile an hour wind?
4: <laughs> well, over on Trevor's land, there's black walnut.
1: Oh, there is. Oh, yes. okay. All right. Yes. So, you know, that still would be a half a mile. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a long way to go.
4: <laughs> it is very nice, pretty wood.
1: Yeah. It is. it is, and they're really nice trees. But I am not mm-hmm. a fan of the walnuts themselves. I, uh, no. I, they're just kind of a to me they're a sweet, sweet yucky nut. So uh, the squirrels yeah. can have them. As far as I'm concerned, no. Now, do you have a problem with English walnuts? No, I like English walnuts.
3: Just uh, black walnuts. The flavor of the black walnut. Yeah, it's yeah yeah. You know, um, out at Hawk Springs, they have an ice cream one one of their hamburger fries, they have an ice cream making and one of them is black walnuts. And I swear that that's pretty good
1: stuff. I would not be choosing that one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some people don't like broccoli. I'm not. Oh a, yeah. I'm not a big fan of black walnuts <laughs> or beets. <laughs> uh, yellow beets are
3: the best. No. Well, okay. Okay. Um, You cut them in half. You put a little olive oil on them and and put some sear marks on them. Get them nice and hot. They're really good. They don't taste like red beets at all. Okay, I believe you. Okay, (laughs) haven't had them the way I fix them. (laughs) Haven't you heard that before? (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Maybe I have. Maybe we. Oh yeah. On this program. So, Jerry, you know, uh, it, what have you been doing gardening-wise uh, this winter? Well, my brother-in-law gave me some,
3: is it elephant ear bulbs? Elephant ear bulbs? Elephant ear garlic? No. Uh, no. Elephant
4: ear. It's elephant ears. Okay.
3: Elephant ears. Okay. Uh, and it's a huge, big bulb. And not quite that big. <laughs> but he gave it, he, he, he dug those up, and I think there's like five or six of them. And I put them down into the well shed hole because it you know it goes down about six it goes down about ten feet and stabilizes and I put that I put that with my canna lilies and my gladiolas and one other thing, but uh, we're thinking that that might be a, a really good thing to do. I tried to grow an elephant ear in the garage, starting it in a, a larger peat. Pot and it didn't do very well at all. Well, was it getting any sunlight in the garage? I have a grow light. Oh, okay. So that's why I asked earlier if the grow light should be pretty darn close to it, or you know, mine is. Oh, I don't know, a couple of feet above.
4: But some things don't like grow lights. I know, like when we do onion seeds, they they like they like the the greenhouse better than then they germinate better out in the greenhouse than they do under a grow light. Interesting. It is very interesting.
1: Yeah. So Jerry, have you ordered your seeds yet? No, I have not. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's one thing. That's one thing we probably remind people to do. Absolutely. uh, Bernie brought up that we've been receiving our, our seed catalogs ever since the first day before uh, Thanksgiving. And, um, Things are a little funny out there still. Uh, last year, there were shortages of things. If you waited too long, I am kind of anticipating that the seed industry folks have recognized that and maybe have stored more back, but that doesn't mean that they might run short again this year. So, well,
4: um, and also, I mean, I'm a canner and you still have a hard time finding jars.
1: Yep. So, So, so there are going to be some supply issues. Well, I can't say it definitely, but uh, personally, I think there probably will be and continue to be uh, into the year. So a uh, little forward thought and planning and uh, preparing and you might well, have and
4: even even um, planning your garden. I mean, I always make a plan because I, you know, I try to rotate my garden, um, yep. the seeds in my garden. So right now is a really good time to be looking at those catalogs, getting your diagram of your garden out and planning on what you want, you know, and where it's you a, want it and how much a good room mental, you have. And, and it's a
1: good mental health exercise too,
4: right? It is. It is. It is. <laughs>
1: Dreaming about that garden, what that garden's going to look like in uh, four or six months.
4: <laughs> you know, and that's really going by fast. I mean, I told Wendell this summer when I was canning, I'm like, oh, I'm really kind of getting tired of this. And he goes, you know, don't wish it away because it's going to be the first of January before we know it. And it was.
3: Yes. Yes. Now, Very so. in the, I know in the summer, everybody puts like a little bit of fertilizer in a jug and sprinkles stuff about every two weeks. Would Would it be wise or unwise to start fertilizing your ground now and just letting the, the weather kind of put some age on it and start sinking in?
4: Um, we try to um, usually like in the um, fall, put your, you know, when you're raking up your leaves, put your leaf mulch on your garden and let it set. Cause those worms really like to have something warm to, you know, they, they just like to mulch everything down. Pretty so, fertile, you know. Putting you know manure or, or leaf mulch is a good thing to do. Yeah. in the, in uh, the fall and, and early winter.
1: I, for commercial fertilizers, I would like to apply a little bit more towards when I have am planting things. That way, I know the mm-hmm. things that are that are going to be growing are going to get the most advantage of that fertilizer. And my. My tomato experiment, you know, I'm watching it and monitoring it and babying it and probably talking to it more than I should. But um, uh, if I see that the leaves are looking a little off color, I have been sprinkling on a granule or two of fertilizer, trying not to overdo it because I know that that can happen and, and uh, they definitely respond. So uh, one of the other things that we've done this year is uh, trying to keep basil going in the house. And uh, that's been kind of a nice addition to our diet as we go along. But uh, they really struggled to begin with and needed a shot of fertilizer. So now it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, if you're pulling leaves off, you need to probably augment with a little fertilizer here and there.
3: Mm-hmm. My niece has one of those, my new niece-in-law, has uh, one of those little plug-in kind of garden units that has a little grow light. And she's grown basil and uh, chives, a few other odds and ends, herbs. Some of them get real leggy, and some of them don't. But you know, there's a fertilizer packet to put into the water, and it recirculates the water, so it's a, a hydroponic style of okay. growing. Interesting. It's a self-contained little little unit. It's it's uh, probably um, 14 inches wide, nine inches deep, and
1: probably a foot and a half high. Yeah. There's a lot of things available out there for people who are newer gardeners or even those of us who have been doing it a while to try to encourage people to grow your own, right?
4: Yes. Yeah. there is. Okay. There is.
3: And I think that there's going to be more people who are first time growers and growing their own fruits and vegetables, or at least more of their vegetables. And even just the simple ones, you know, like zucchini and, well, and tomatoes and maybe- hey, there's nothing
1: there's nothing wrong with keeping it simple, Jerry.
3: And maybe a pepper or two. Yeah, no, no kidding. And maybe a maybe a, a winter squash. You know, a, plant a blue Hubbard.
1: Yeah, well, you know, our rule is only grow the stuff you like to eat. So there's plenty of other things out there. Uh, um, Diane would really like me to grow beets, but she, she's, <laughs> she's going to have to sneak them into the garden if that's the case. <laughs> or she can buy them. Or or trade for them. Last year she traded for them. She traded something. Somebody maybe traded some eggs for some beets last year. I don't know what it was. (laughs) Hey, uh, let's take a break and uh, listen to some messages from our sponsors. And we'll be back in a few.
2: The University of Wyoming Extension and Sensible Nutrition Program share educational resources across Wyoming. And we want to hear from you. How do you find information on your favorite topics? What social media platforms do you use? What is the best way to get our resources into your hands? We want to know. Take our survey and earn an awesome multi-use kitchen tool and help us get the best information to you in the
4: way you want it.
0: Are you interested in learning more about agronomy,
4: healthy soil, no-till farming, and current climate conditions and outlooks? Please join us for Westy Ag Days in Warland on February 9th through the 18th lunch will be provided courtesy of our sponsors. Please call 307-347-3431 for more information and to register.
1: All right, good morning everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshbeck for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program and our guest today is Bernie Lewis and we've been talking about wishful thinking, I guess. (laughs) What we can think about in our garden and and, uh, how to keep us occupied this winter and Bernie mentioned planning out your garden a little bit ago, and uh, Diane and I need to do a little better job at this. We never really write it down. We discuss where things are going. And I don't know. Do you have a map, Bernie, of where I you... I do.
4: I have a little um, notebook. Okay. A little spiral notebook that somebody gave me, and I do. I, I plot it out and do that because you don't always remember... I mean, I don't have a greenhouse. I just sure. have a garden plot. You know, sometimes you forget, oh, did I put the tomatoes here or did I put them in this row? Because I, I ditch mine, yep. and we fled it. So it's pretty easy to be able to tell where where you're planting and stuff as to where your rows are. And so I do try to keep track of it. So I'm not planting you know, more than one year of one year rotation.
3: Sure. Do you do. save your map from year to year?
4: Yep. They're in a spir- little spiral notebook.
1: Yeah. She has a, She has about 40 years of them. <laughs>
4: no, I don't have 40, but you know, I only have 10. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> but yeah. Uh,
3: and I agree with you. You forget exactly where you put stuff because you think, oh, that's where I'll I had remember. my tomatoes, you know, and, <laughs> Myrna will say,
1: no, that's where we had them last year. Yeah. Or that's where we had them a couple of years ago. And it's still not ready to be put back there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We try to, we try to rotate, but it's um, right now, it's kind of a mental, um, mental game for us. (laughs) Uh, We're using.
3: Go ahead. We're using some hog panels that, you know, they're. I think that they're just about four foot tall and they're 16 feet long. And we've made specified walkways and some go around a corner and one goes around a corner another way. So, you know, it makes it a specific walk pattern. And we've kind of done that. And this is our second year for that. And I think we're going to keep things there. But we grew peas on one of them. And for people who haven't grown peas, peas are one of those kind of things you really have to watch them. And if you don't, they get pick overripe. <laughs> yeah, pick them. <laughs> and if you don't, they get overripe,
1: and gee, they're not tasty at all. Yeah. Well, I, I might have mentioned this uh, last year at some point in time, but uh, we do the same thing. We grow peas on a hog panel and, uh, or allow them to climb on a hog panel. When, when you first plant them, you think, oh, man, I only got 10 of those plants to germinate. And by the time you're done picking them, you're thinking, Oh, thank God. I only had 10 of those plants during. (laughs) Amen.
4: (laughs) You're lucky because I can't grow peas up here. Oh, really? Wow. I I can't. I mean, I try, but.
1: Yeah. Well, we do put them in the high tunnel. One of the things that we noticed last year before we were opening the sides, so we planted them very early and um, it was still getting very warm before we opened the sides up to get it to vent a little bit and they grew up to be about three feet tall and anything above three feet just got burnt off. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, that was kind of our indicator that said, Hey, you need to be opening up the vents and uh, uh, a little
4: warm in here.
1: Yeah. But they bushed out. Right. So where those points stopped growing, they bushed from there and we had gobs of peas (laughs) more than, more than I needed. So, yeah, um the other thing, Jerry, is turn in one of those hog panels on its end, and oh, then yeah, and then bending it over. so about four feet apart and then or maybe wider, actually, it's a 16 foot panel. You could go out to um, six or eight feet wide, I think, and just make an arch with it, mm-hmm. and uh, you can still grow things on it, so cucumbers or peas or whatever, and just use it as a walkway underneath and go through and pick things that way. You bet. And it makes it more architecturally
3: beautiful. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to have. Well, my wife has to have color coordination. Okay. And make it look pretty. Okay, sure. So we have a plan this year to have a dirt profile in our garden. And let me tell you what that was all about. We bought a weed eater, electric weed eater, and Myrna kept the weeds down. That Myrna loves by weed-eating between a rows. Well, it doesn't stop those really small weeds from gaining a seed head. And of course, the weed-eater spews out the seed and replants it, but yet it came down and it was almost like a carpet of stuff. Green stuff. It's great stuff. And so what we want to do this year is have an actual dirt profile. We have too many voles, V O L E S. To put plastic down i think that that would just become a haven for them sure but we want to do better on our weed containment and
4: i think have you thought ever about putting preen down in your walkways
3: um yeah on on some things we do I, I don't really think about doing that on edibles preen is okay for edibles you'd have to look at the label i can't recall yeah but it yeah. is,
4: if it's in, just in your walkway,
1: yeah, I don't know. Or, the the or product mulch in, it
4: with some yeah wood chips or something.
1: The the product in preen it's a uh, pre-emergent that or, affects pre-emergent. Root, that affects root growth. So um, you you would know if it affected your plants.
4: <laughs> so at any rate, that's or our mulch, plan. Or, yeah, or mulch it. Yeah, you mulch your walkways. So Jerry, how big is
3: your garden? 50 by 50, but we put in two raised beds 4 okay. by 4 by 8. So we take up a little and then we added a sitting area. So that's a 12 by 12. So we're we're slowly reducing our our garden size. <laughs> My dad did exactly the same thing. Kept getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> <laughs> but it still is able to open the open the gates because we put a a fence around it, a a chicken wire fence around it to ward off any deer that may or may not be into our garden. And they have to be very dedicated deer if they want to be inside of our garden, because we have bushes on the outside, kind of bushes on the inside a little bit as well. So they have to be really dedicated if they want to get in. So the gates are wide enough to get my tiller through there easy
1: enough. Of course they are. Uh, course I was going to I was going to ask Bernie, are you a rototiller do you rototill? Um,
4: no, uh, Wendell just takes the spring tooth harrow through mine.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So basically you are not ripping up your furrows each year.
4: No. Well, okay. no, yeah, I mean not no. not with a rototiller. He just, okay. you know, he just runs the spring tooth harrow through it and then he packs it down with the pack he has a little packer
1: because okay.
4: right. he's the farmer of the I, I might be the gardener but he is the farmer so I've and, never we, done and, we, that. and we do put a, a rabbit fence around our garden because I'm kind of like miss mrs. McGregor I don't like the rabbits in my garden because they eat my beets and they eat my they eat everything <laughs> yes they do <laughs> yes, and they. I'm just like mm, uh, I, I I don't want to chase them out with my hoe because I might have to hurt them.
1: (laughs) Yes. So so Jerry, you mentioned voles with a V. Yes. Um, Voles are one of the things that uh, are issues in high tunnels or greenhouses because they are feed on plants and insects and basically anything that they can find. Uh, They're hungry little guys. But in the spring, I really try to run a baiting program in my uh, high tunnel just to try to get them under control. Because in the past, two years ago, maybe it's three years ago now, uh, every time I planted corn, sweet corn, uh, one night, the next night, they would be just little divots where the corn were because the voles would just walk down the row and pick them out and eat them. So if I plan on having a crop, I have to manage the vole population that occurs inside the high tunnel. So on our raised beds,
3: we turn them over and put on hail screen I think it's quarter by quarter. Maybe it's half by half. Okay. H- hail screen or hard wire tack. Yeah. Like, expanded metal type stuff. Expanded metal, sure. Yeah. And uh, to try to avoid any bulls coming up into it. I imagine that would be cost prohibitive in a high tunnel to mm. to put a wire mesh down below. It just
1: depends on the size of the high tunnel, right? Sure. Or the geodesic dome or whatever you happen to be growing in. And what and who you want to keep in or out. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people who put down wire mesh underneath raised beds to try to keep the, the rodents out. Not uh-huh. just voles. There's a whole lot of other things. that. Oh, mice even, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mice if they uh, want to winter overwinter. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, extension office, the high tunnel at the extension office, when we were managing that, I think we trapped three different mice species plus voles. So there there were field mice and house mice and just different types of mice out there that were wreaking havoc on things. (laughs) (laughs) When we used to grow pumpkins, we'd have...
3: One, you know, you'd go to to harvest and you cut off the the stem, and you'd cut one and it'd just be light, and you go, whoa, hey, you're expecting twelve to fifteen pounds, and it just comes right up. You turn yeah. it over and there's a little hole, and it's all Cinderella again, you know, Cinderella right. with the with her uh, with her carriage, and those mice would just burrow in and just gut the entire pumpkin.
1: Yeah, we um, you know um, we grew pumpkins quite a bit and squash and never really had problems with mice in those plants until we grew a uh, it was a little green turban squash I can't remember the name of it but it was flat and then it had a the flower end on the bottom you could see it the mice would just get inside of those and just clean them out um, yeah that and that one particular variety of pumpkins yeah
3: so I'm it sure sounds, sounds like a Turk's turban. Yeah, something like that. Turk's yeah. turban because it has those little bumps on, its, on the top of its head. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure.
1: So um, uh, are you planting? Uh, this question is to either one of you. Are you planning on planting anything new and different this year?
4: Oh, I'm going to do artichokes again. Are you? I, I, I just like my artichokes. I had one plant that had six of them on this year. Oh, okay. Um.
3: And I understand that the flower is real pretty, but do you eat them? No. Do you eat your artichokes? Oh, artichokes? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm the my, only one that does. But uh-huh. my goes. brother-in-law had them just for the flower. Uh, they are
4: pretty. They're a yeah, nice they are big pretty purple flowers.
1: flower. And traditionally, they're a perennial, but there are some varieties that are annuals. Right, Bernie?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You can get them to fruit in a year. Yes. Is there anything the partic- Golden
4: Globe? Yeah.
1: Is there anything particular you have to do with them?
4: I usually plant three or four of them, and I I'm pretty lucky if I have two of them that choke for me.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, so when you when you hear of a artichoke field, are those
4: would those be considered Jerusalem artichokes? Or no, I don't think so. I mean. <laughs> They used to grow Jerusalem's around here.
1: So, Jerry, Jerusalem artichokes—they have a little yellow flower on them that they kind of resemble uh, sunflowers. Uh, oh. and the, they harvest the roots of Jerusalem artichokes, I believe, to be um, for sugar. In, well, in an inulin or a basis for uh, insulin, oh, I think. Know. I could be wrong.
4: You know, I don't. I'm not real sure. I know, I knew they they. They harvest them like they do sugar beets.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a root crop. So mm-hmm. oh, I'll be darn, Yeah, yeah. Um, so do,
4: I, I thought they came back every year once you planted uh, them.
1: I do know that they would be very difficult to get rid of because of the propagation of the roots. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh-huh. But the artichokes that let's say grow in California or in the South or someplace, those are completely different plants. Aren't they in the thistle family, Bernie?
4: I think so, cuz they they the the plant looks like a thistle. And and the flower actually looks like a thistle. It's a blue, it's a purple thistle-looking flower that okay. after the it comes from the the artichoke, the middle of the artichoke. But
3: now your golden globe, does it does it bloom a golden flower?
4: No, it's a it's a purple a purple flower. It's a misnomer. It's okay. Just just to tease you. It's a misnomer. <laughs> 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 and then the, they're pretty long. They're pretty. You know, you have to plant the seed and get and have a plant because they, I mean, they require a lot like of like a sweet potato. They're a, a very long dated um, plant. Yeah,
0: re-
1: require a lot of days to get the maturity, like hundred and ten or hundred and twenty.
4: Yeah. Wow. So right like
1: uh, have either one of you grown sweet potatoes? Not intentionally. Uh, I no. mean, the the ones that have shown up. We, so there used to be some that were grown at the extension office uh, in the garden there, um, but I haven't grown them personally. Uh, and um, the ones that are the decorative sweet potatoes, you can yeah. actually you can actually eat those. Uh, yeah, you can but they're going to take a lot of sugar or something
4: <laughs> when they're not very big and they don't not very ever big. really get yeah. more than maybe four inches long. Yeah. The, the, from the sweet potato vine.
3: A friend of mine out east of town said that he's grown some sweet potatoes, but he starts them by putting a toothpick in them. And much like you would uh, avocado seed and putting it in a, a, a glass of water to yeah, you start need a slips. You need
4: slips of them.
3: Uh huh. So the, that's the, how you grow the them. The slips come from eyes, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a regular potato.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only um, many times the sweet potatoes that you can purchase in the store have been uh, treated. It's not the right word, but conditioned so that they won't produce slips. So you oh. have. It's best if you. I mean, you might be able to break that, whatever they've done to it, uh, if you put them in water with a toothpick. I mean, hold them in a glass with toothpicks. But usually, you need to order the slips from a producer in the south. Yeah. Yeah. Okra? Bernie, do you normally grow okra?
4: No. No. Gretchen usually does. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but she grew up in Kentucky, so...
1: Yeah, I, I think okra is another one of those things. you Either love it or you hate it.
4: You um, hate, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never. I guess I've never really eaten it, so I don't know. So I've, the
3: only way I've had it is deep fried,
1: and well, of course, anything, anything, anything deep, deep fried, fried. Anything deep fried is good, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I've had it in uh, uh, soups and stews, and it's kind of um, slimy. Let's say gelatinous. Uh, let's let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's different. It's really weird. And it's kind of, I don't know if I like this or not. And so the seeds, the beans on the inside have a different flavor than the, the flesh. So if you pickle okra, you want the plant pods to be smaller. And if you're looking for the gelatinous quality, I think you want those pods to be a little bit more mature. Um, they put that in jambalaya, I believe. Yeah, I I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And is Um, that a thickener? Hey, if it's gelatinous, it's thickening something. (laughs) (laughs) Slip sliding away. Yeah. And so, Jerry, um, the reason, main reason that I brought up asking if we're growing anything new and different is I know on this program, we've talked about Cornelian cherries several times. Several um, times, I think. Which are a dogwood that have a fruit that you can actually consume. And um, I was able to find some this year and I'm hoping that I get some Cornelian cherries to show up at my house this spring. So uh, got a spot picked out where we're going to put them and we're going to see what happens. Apparently they have, when they bloom in the spring, they have taxicab yellow flowers on them. Uh, and then to get the best fruit, you need two different varieties. So I've done that. I've, we'll, we'll just see what happens.
3: Very, yeah, you have to cool. keep us updated. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the are fig- the che- are the cherries bigger than the the pie
1: cherries that grow around Torrington? Yeah. So I don't I don't think they're cherry like. I I know that they have a lot of vitamin C in them, but I have no idea what the flavor will be like. They don't have a central pit. It's going to be something different. But I'll let you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cornelian cherries. How do you spell that? C O R N E L I, O, oh, N, uh, well, Cornelius, Cornelian. I can't spell stuff like this. Don't put me on the spot like that.
4: Yeah, don't put him on the spot.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll not put you on that spot ever again. <laughs> Spelling and math. Don't ask me to do that.
4: <laughs> so on your on your tomato plants, you haven't seen any bugs
1: yet. Uh, no, no bugs. Good, good. Yeah. Um, I would probably get frustrated and set them out. Do something brash, like set them outside for a Well,
4: I, I think Diane would make you do something very, very rash.
1: Probably.
3: What kind of what kind of bugs would you expect, Bernie? Well, the ones you oh. don't want to show up are white
1: flies.
4: <clears throat> white flies is mostly what I was going to say.
1: Yeah,
3: um,
4: some yellow sticky things out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, aphids could be a problem, thrips could be a problem, but we don't have a lot of other plants in our house, so I don't anticipate that we'll have any issues. The other thing that can show up would be um, fungus gnats, which are annoying, to say the least, um, but there are some ways to keep them under control, too.
3: So uh, the little fruit flies, are the fungus gnats about the same size? Fungus gnats are a little bit
1: smaller. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so fu- to me, being the entomologist, the way to identify a fungus gnat is it's usually trying to fly up your nose. <laughs> oh, yeah. A fruit fly usually leaves you alone. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think both both are irritating. Yes. I
1: mean, both would be irritating. <laughs> exactly. Fruit flies so, aren't, aren't traditionally in our homes until we have a lot summertime. We have a lot of ripe fruit around, those types yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah.
3: So fruit flies, I've, I've been told, you can put a small lamp with a, uh, a dish of soapy water underneath.
1: What about those fungus flies? How do you get rid of them? So there's a bunch of different ways to do uh, take care of fungus gnats. Um, one of them is uh, using potatoes, believe it or not. So if you let the if you let the, the root feeders, the larvae are root feeders. If you let the soil dry out and cut up little chunks of potatoes and put it on the soil of the pot that you have, leave it for 24 hours, then pick the potato up, you'll see little maggots on the potatoes. So you just throw them all away and you keep doing that until you kind of get them under control. The other way to try to manage them a little bit is um, put put about one inch of really fine sand over the top of your pot right? So you've got the, you normally have the head space in there. And so the adults need some place to lay their eggs and they'll usually try to go through the top and that sand just won't allow them to lay eggs. So that will eliminate some of them too. But then, then again, there's other, you can use sticky traps to control the adults. Although if you have pets, it's highly likely that you'll get stuck in them or they'll get stuck in them, but there's some other things to try to reduce them. And if the, I tell folks, if the population is too much for you to handle just set everything outside this time of year for about three days and you won't have a problem anymore (laughs) (laughs) the overnight low on one night does not like that answer
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah my brother made some soup and i said hey why don't you put it outside to cool off it's 32 degrees and so it cooled off way way well and uh, we were able to bag that up and put the rest in the freezer. So, Oh, I thought you, know, you were going to say it solidified on you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have had we left it out even further into the evening. Hey, um,
1: any other things you guys would like to talk about as we uh, get close to wrap up time?
4: Just, just the, you know, what do you think the growing season is going to be for this spring and summer? you think we're well, going to have another hot one?
1: Here's my answer. Your guess is as good as mine.
4: <laughs> That's kind
1: of what I thought. Your prediction will be
3: as good as mine. <laughs> now is the Farmers Almanac out yet for 2021? It should be. I have not seen it yet, though. I
4: haven't seen it either. Yeah, but they're
3: they're always pretty good about a prediction. And but we're seven inches at least seven inches into the drought meter, and I think into the, into the eastern Nebraska. They're they're a little bit more. But gee whiz, it's dry. Yeah, we're
1: and, so. So my prediction: we're going to be dry. We're going to have to deal with grasshoppers. Hush and, on and that dry. one. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's going to be the reality of it. And mm-hmm. um, we need to be on the lookout for Japanese beetles. Not, not, uh, not the one that gets in the tree that we've been talking about, the emerald ash borer. But I think we need to be watching in our neck of the woods okay. for Japanese beetles. Apparently, they showed up in uh, Scott's Bluff last year, so... Yeah, um, they are not a good time. (laughs) No, no, Uh, not at all. So so the larvae destroy your turf, and the adults eat anything they can shove in their mouths. Yeah. Hate them. Now,
4: yeah, And I heard that, you know, water up in the watershed isn't very good yet either, so hopefully hopefully February and March we get some.
3: Now, tell me again what the best weather is to get rid of grasshoppers is it a cool
1: wet spring so jerry the best weather that we had for getting rid of grasshoppers remember the summer of 2012 no hot dry that was the year that we got six inches of rain okay <laughs> so there's a couple of different things going on right if it's hot and dry in the fall and those seed those uh, egg Cases desiccate. That's good news. All right. If we have a wet, cool spring, that is usually also good news because uh, as those little grasshoppers are coming out, they are susceptible. Yeah, susceptible. There's fungal pathogens that'll get to them and stuff like that. So it's going to be a challenge. We 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 don't hope for really dry weather, but it could be beneficial.
3: Yeah, you know moisture. Is always good for somebody and bad for somebody else. I mean, you know, hey, it could have waited two days. It uh, could have rained a little harder. Yeah. Uh, could have yep. rained a little slower.
1: So, uh, could have yeah, been a moisture, moisture yeah. is a key thing. Um, one of the things I'd like to bring up that Extension is doing, University of Wyoming Extension, I believe starting the second to last week of January – Uh, on Fridays at nine o'clock, will be a program called Barnyards and Backyards Live. It's available on the internet. I believe if you just use your browser to search for it, you can find it. University of Wyoming Extension Barnyards and Backyards Live. And uh, the format is very similar to our uh, radio program, but it's myself and another person co-hosting. And um, uh, we have a guest and we have many different agricultural topics. So they may be livestock related, they may be gardening related, uh, but we are trying to offer those as an alternative to some of the normal in-person meetings that we run in the springtime. Plan on doing it for about 12 weeks. So it'll run in January, February, March. I think it'll run into April, but every Friday at 9 a.m. And it's, uh, it's broadcast live on um, Facebook, under the same heading, Barnyards and Backyards Live. And then the uh, videos are posted out to YouTube later on. So if people miss them the f- first time, they can go watch them later. So uh, just a little educational opportunity if people are interested. So um, that's what we've got going on in Extension that I'm aware of. I'm sure there are many other things that are happening as well. But um, again, if you need some uh, an outlet or you're looking for something to do, uh, just a program for all of you out there.
3: And Jeff, aren't we also, don't we also have a website
1: for lawn and garden shows if you wanted um, to catch those? Yeah, our podcasts are also being, these radio programs are being converted into podcasts that uh, the University of Wyoming is uh, putting up and posting. I'll have to get you that address because I do not have it in front of me right now. But uh, I believe that the guys at the radio station may have posted a link on their uh, website. So on the KGS KERM website, look for a link there. And uh, if you missed this once, you might be able to catch this again. Hopefully, people are listening to us more than once. <laughs> yeah, right. we're offering. Well, we're waiting for
3: syndication. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah,
4: it was fun. So, so Jerry, do thank you want to you,
1: you want to wrap us up
3: today? Yeah. And you know, this is never a time that that we can take lightly. And I'm going to pitch those pumpkins again. As I always like to, growing a giant pumpkin is is rather fun. It brings families together. It can be a memorable occasion, and then you can weigh your pumpkin at our giant pumpkin way off in October. But now is the time to be thinking about getting your seeds for that, and uh, planting is all well. In your yeah, or at the okay. end of your garden, Bernie. It is at the end of our garden. Yeah, there you go. But that's that's my that's my. Uh, That's my way of world peace is is grow a giant pumpkin seed.
1: A seed for everyone. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Bernie, thank you for uh, being our guest today. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for all of our listeners. And uh, our next program will be when, Jerry? Our next
3: program is February 16th with Joy Sevens, the mayor of
1: Fort Laramie. Mayor of Fort Laramie. Yes, she... Was hesitant, but we'll get her to, we'll get her to
0: chat with us.
4: <laughs>
1: That's good. Jerry, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for listening, Thank everybody, you. and we'll see you next month.
0: You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist, Jeff Edwards, and co-host Jerry Urshabek. As the snow melts and the sun breaks, the University of Wyoming Extension has many upcoming virtual and hybrid learning programs available to you. Listen each week for details on new events and how to make your garden flourish. Good day and happy gardening.